You're listening to The Nature of Things. This episode was originally aired April 15th, 1993. We felt a touch of spring last week. Came as a welcome relief for most of us who are, who are about wintered out. Still, the depth of the winter experience and its tardy arrival predict the violence of its aftermath, and that violence was felt especially by people whose dwellings or businesses rest in the floodplain of the Seneca River. For many of them, winter's aftermath was devastating. Those of us who always seek highland real estate can't understand the magnetic effect of water which leads people to settle in such threatened situations. The answer is not easy to verbalize. You can find it in the response of many flood-beset people to the question, are you going to move out of here? Even though their lives have been turned upside down and maybe again within their lifetime, they prefer to stay put. It's home. It reminds me of something I heard years ago from an old-timer who lived on a low hammock near the delta of the Mississippi. I love this old gent. Every day he carries a lifeblood of half the country past my porch. And once in a while, he even comes up and kisses my feet. Sure, he's a robber stealing a bit of my front yard or anything else that's not tied down. But I couldn't live without him. He's the only rich man I know. If that's the kind of spirit that ties these people to their lowland homes, I can sympathize with them and deplore their losses, but not their decision to live where they do. In this country, everyone has a right to pursue his or her own dream. I suspect some people will be making some very heart-wrenching decisions about where to live in the near future. Such thoughts were far from my mind as I ventured forth from the headquarters building at Baltimore Woods last week. The sun shone bright, and the mercury had reached the high 50s. Still, the scent of spring was not yet in the air. It was as if someone had just opened the refrigerator door, letting in the heat, but everything all about us was still stone cold. I could even feel an emanation of winter as I passed close to the pines, the breeze wafting across the snowbank that still hung deep inside the plantation was noticeably colder than the surrounding atmosphere. <clears throat> this lingering winter ambience, however, had little effect on the birds. Juncos and tree sparrows themselves a part of the winter tourist trade scurried about, gleaning from the newly exposed ground. Over and around them, and somehow dominant, were robin and song sparrow. These were no tourists. Their actions proclaimed their domestic intentions. Two male robins engaged in a land war right overhead, their actions loud and vigorous. The song sparrow paused periodically to serenade the spring sun. I wish I could understand song sparrow talk. How many intentions and emotions, I wonder, can be expressed in those simple repetitive phrases? I moseyed along to the edge of the woods, avoiding the cold, wet snowbanks. At the edge of the Faust Garden, I found Daphne, known to some as wild lilac, just beginning to bloom. The shrub was covered with flower buds. By the time you hear this, the whole should be covered with small magenta blooms. Nearby, a single pale yellow colt's foot had chosen to turn its face to the sun. Nearby, I could see dozens of buds just pushing their way out of the ground. Yesterday morning, they were covered with snow, except for the one now blooming. In the valley, the snow still blanketed the shaded north-facing slope, but across the valley, well over 50% of the ground was exposed. I hurried across the valley to search for the first hepaticas. I found lots of silky shoots, buds ready to open, 
but nothing I could call a bloom yet. Tomorrow, perhaps. Throughout my walk, I was serenaded by the booming drum beat of a palliated woodpecker. Intermittently, a downy woodpecker joined in with his own tattoo, one of astounding resonance for his diminutive size. Actually, however, there's no comparison. The pileated wields a post maul, the downy a tack hammer. The two, however, are a part of spring's incessant chatter. I wandered up over a beech hemlock maple clad rise to check out the bloodroot and trilliums on trillium knoll. There were a few red trillium sprouts just emerging, but the foot of the knoll was crowded with inch-high spearheads of bloodroot. There will be a grand display there a couple of weeks hence. I'll mark that in my calendar. Overhead, I noticed that another grand old patriarch beech had succumbed to the blight. Sad to see this evidence of our carelessness. It isn't just the scale insects and the viral invasion, but also the loggers high-grading of this knoll years ago, leaving only mature beech. This glut of beech makes a perfect recipe for an epidemic of some kind. One thing, the stressed beech have put forth an abundance of nuts these last years, and the ground is covered with beech seedlings, as thick as the hair on a hound's back, as my old friend Pearl Trumbull used to say. This thick carpet has served as a winter lunch counter for deer. The browse is heavy on the struggling seedlings. The machinery of nature is exceedingly complex, invested with an unstoppable power. I know no single metaphor that can do it justice. Well, that's all I have for today. This is John Week saying thanks for listening. Tune in next week and keep it natural.